That's really where we want to be this morning, isn't it? Let's just pray together. Father, those are the, that's exactly the, the cry of our hearts. We want to make room for you this morning. We make room for you. God, I pray that you would just uh, prepare us to let you do whatever it is that you want to do in our hearts. We've prepared. We have, we, um, have brought what we have to you this morning, and we pray that you would make yourself known today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, welcome. My name is Janice Wood. I'm so pleased to be with you this morning. For those of you joining us online, it is good to see you as well. Uh, We are in the middle of what we are affectionately, as the staff calling, uh, a series, not a series, right? Uh, As opposed to a a collection of uh, messages that have some sort of common theme. And I think we've established a few weeks ago, um, the pastor kind of described this as the passion week, right? We're, We're pulling out events and teaching that took place during the final week of Jesus' life. And trust me, passions were high during that time. We often think about Jesus' high passions, whatever it is that causes him to overturn the tables, um, his um, agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, a lot of the different things that are going on during that week. Um, And, um, you know, I, I don't know, this isn't Passion Week yet, unless March Madness does that to you. You know, I mean, it was rough for some of you. I don't know where your brackets are standing, but whatever. Uh, But uh, to get us started this morning, let me start with this question. Who in here or online, think about it in these terms, who has ever given up on something too soon? You you gave up on something too soon. And and if if you can say you haven't, I, I, you know, I feel like we have some truth issues going on because most of us has given up on something a little too early, right? You, you, You know, you thought you knew the outcome of that game, so you turned it off and then you're like, ah. I wish I had stayed to the very end to see that. You know, you left an event that just wasn't exciting enough because, you, you know, you thought it was going to be a dud. Uh, you quit the gym because you discovered that 30 minutes on the treadmill really didn't change the mirror that much. Do you know what I mean? You, you, we quit things all the time. Um, Maybe a series, uh, you know, a job, a degree, a relationship even. Um, Back in the day when artists got their start at country fairs, do you remember this? Um, My husband and I walked out on on someone who ended up being a bit of a celebrity. But in the early days, so we're back in uh, circa early 90s. Does anybody remember Travis Tritt? I know he's kind of a has-been now, but he was a country artist who was making his way, and he had one single single that was doing anything at all. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, perhaps he wished he wasn't even booked at the fair, but you still had to do the fair. And so um, we went in and sat down with some friends, uh, probably like on the second row. And uh, it was the middle of the day, and he and his band were up there playing, and and we listened to a song and a half, and we looked at each other and we're like, this guy isn't going anywhere, let's go look at cows or something. You know what I mean? And we left. I I still remember walking down the center aisle and walking out on him. There were so few people there. It was like, I'm sorry, but you're boring. You know, know, uh, know, he turned out to make a little bit of money and become someone we just kind of left a little early. What does it take for you to give up on something? What does it take, for that matter, for you to go all in 
on something. We're going to look this morning at a couple characters in the Passion Week, not Jesus himself, but a couple characters whose passions were also running high. One person who decides to go all in, one person who decides to give up, because these people, in spite of what Jesus was doing, their passions caused them to demonstrate what was really going on inside. And do we realize that we do that? When we make decisions, we're actually demonstrating our own condition of our hearts. We're demonstrating that. And so we're going to look at a a couple of these characters uh, this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I hope you do, or or a device, or you're going to follow along in the screens behind me, we're going to be working out of Matthew 26. It's not very many verses here. Matthew 26, starting in verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, obviously they were there, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver, and from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. What we have here are two hearts, two uh, people, two passions, a story of a quitter, a story of a giver. Let's start with the woman. Now, um, if, if you're unaware or maybe you weren't raised in church, let me explain something very quickly about how the Bible is laid out. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are four different accounts of Jesus' life. So in many ways, they're very similar and sometimes they parallel and some places they diverge because Matthew gives his version, Mark gives his version, uh, Luke gives his version, and John gives his version. Now, so sometimes when you find a passage like this where this particular story is told several places, you can kind of piece together different elements. People are like, oh, it doesn't say the same thing. No, that actually gives it more credibility. Because if you reported exactly the same thing as your neighbor, then I would think that you copied. You know, I taught at the university a long time. And you know, plagiarism is easy to spot when somebody takes the same paper and changes two words. (laughs) Right? But when you write on the same topic and you have a few different details, that actually gives credibility to what it is. And so, we learn a few things uh, in in some of the other passages about this. And John's version actually identifies this woman as Mary. There's a couple of things that have to do with anointing, but, but we think that this might be Mary of Mary and Martha and Lazarus fame. And, uh, and there's a few stories around them. Suffice it to say that Bethany is kind of a home base for Jesus, right? He's coming back for Passover, but when he doesn't have a house of his own, so he stays with friends. And in this particular case, he's staying with a man named Simon the leper, or at least is there for supper. We don't know much about this guy, except that he appears to not 
be a leper anymore <laughs> because they're all eating there. But maybe someone that Jesus had healed, we don't really know. Um, and he is with friends. He's reclining because that's how they ate in that day. It's a very Roman style of reclining on couches. And, uh, and here Mary shows up, if this is for sure Mary. So go with me on this. You can argue with me later. And, and Mary shows up. Mary, who we know is someone who has often sat at Jesus' feet learning, right? She makes her sister mad because she doesn't help with the dishes. And she's sitting there uh, learning from Jesus. This is Mary who was so brokenhearted when Lazarus died and Jesus comes that she doesn't even leave the house until Jesus calls for her. That Mary. Perhaps she was wealthy. Perhaps they were wealthy. We don't really know. These women and, and brother appear to live alone. And this woman brings out a bottle of expensive perfume. Now, in um, one of the other accounts, we understand that it is a bottle of nard. Nard is a spice that is not local to the region. It is a spice that comes from India. So, you know, without knowing a whole lot of geography, can we just say that the Middle East and, and India are not real close together? So the, this very distant spice that goes into this perfume adds to the cost of this particular bottle. It's kind of a single-use situation. Once you break the top, it's over, it's out. And, uh, and in this day, perfumes were not just used for date night, right? Perfumes were used either to anoint someone which indicated a, a, a rise in status or an indication of elevated status. You might anoint someone uh, for a special uh, office or you might anoint a guest when they came in the door to indicate something special. You know, I'm not sure what we do for guests these days. What do you do in your home that's, that you don't do for family but you do for guests? You know, maybe it just means putting away your shoes or cleaning up dog toys or giving them hand sanitizer. I don't know what it is in this day and age, but this was a, a not an atypical thing to do uh, for an honored guest. Also, obviously, these perfumes were used in burial, spices that were, were taken because they didn't, the Jews did not embalm. That was something that the Egyptians had done, and there's a couple notable uh, patriarchs who were embalmed based on that, but in general, they did not embalm. Here is how this woman's passion reveals the condition of her heart. Number one, this woman gives too much. In light of everyone around her, in the way that she's going to be remembered, she gives too much. This is what she will be known for. Man, I want to be known for that. Don't you? Don't you want to be known for giving God too much? Too much? A ridiculous commitment to his kingdom? An embarrassingly extravagant gift? A dangerous amount of our time and our talents and our treasure? And Jesus says, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, this particular version, Matthew says it was very expensive perfume. Mark tells us exactly how expensive it was. He says it was worth a year's wages. A year's wages. In that day, 300 to 400 denarii. That doesn't mean a lot to us, but it will in a minute. All right? So a year's wage is what she's getting. So unless this lady is crazy rich, unless she is a one percenter, unless she is an uber wealthy, who has a year's wages sitting around in liquid form, no pun intended. I mean, do you all have a year's wages? When's the last time you even spent a year's wages other than for your dwelling? 
You know, I mean, that's a, it's a crazy amount. So why does she even have this? You know, what does this gift represent to her before she gives it to Jesus? Is she keeping it because it's nostalgic? Did somebody, did Aunt Susie pass it down to her and she's hanging on to it for some reason? Does it represent her funeral fund? You know, some of us prepare for, you know, our own funerals. We put things aside for that so that won't be a burden on the family. Does it represent like a fine bottle of wine or bourbon that you would pull out for a very, very special guest? Does it represent savings? See, I wonder if this represents her 401k. You know, for a woman with no husband, does this mean this is how I will care for myself in some day? You know, we, don't, we have no idea. Whatever it represented, people noticed. Whatever it represented, people noticed when she poured it out. No one said, oh no, that was from Aunt Susie. You can't use that. Nobody said, well, now how will you be buried? You know, you just gave up what you needed there for that. No, what they said was, that's too much. That is too much. What do people notice about your dedication to Jesus? What is it that people say about that? You know, if you work out in the gym, we notice that. If you get a new tattoo, we notice that. If you get a degree, we show everyone and we celebrate that. Good grief if you get a vaccination these days or if you vote, we have to take a selfie, don't we? I mean, and, it, and I'm okay with that because what we're doing is we're celebrating progress. We celebrate progress in our culture. But imagine this. What if we had a before and after picture of life with Jesus? What would that look like? Would you have like a picture of a brand new Bible that had never been opened and a picture of one that was dog-eared and marked in to indicate your progress? Would you have an empty journal where you had written nothing, but then over here you'd have a journal that was filled up with things that you had done? Would you have an, a donation sheet that had a big zero on it? and you had a donation sheet over here that had numbers on it. Would you have, in, in the light of Moses, our small groups are studying Moses right now, would you have an unradiant face, and then after Moses spends time with God, he comes out and he is shining. Would you have a shining face? Could you imagine if we posted before and after pictures of our spiritual progress? Can you even imagine? What spiritual progress would you celebrate in a way that is considered too much? Now, we aren't talking about bragging here, and that's not what I'm suggesting or making a scene. But let's be clear, this woman did not post an anonymous gift to a Jesus GoFundMe. This was out in the open. She didn't do it to make a scene, but it made a scene when she did that. That wasn't her purpose, but it certainly did that. This gift was out in the open and people were counting. Can you imagine as it's dripping on Jesus' head and the disciples are going, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. You know what I mean? They're counting on it because here's the next point. Somebody will always criticize. Somebody will always criticize the gift that you give, what you're getting ready to do. There's always going to be criticism of something. There was always the could have been. Did you hear that in the scripture? That could have been used in another way. There are so many could have beens that you can live your life around. 
And that's not what this woman did. There's always a better way to spend something. There's always a different way to use something. Someone will argue that you wasted resources or talents. And by the way, how did they even know the value of that perfume? I mean, did it have like a a name brand on the bottle? Did it say like Pappy Van Winkle or something on there? I mean, how did they know that this was something that costs a lot of money? To put it in modern perspective, according to Salary Explorer, and I don't think they're talking about our region of Kentucky, according to Salary Explorer, right now, the median wage for a person working in the United States is $94,700. Holy smokes. All right. All right. So let's just break it. Let's just say, let's just say this woman qualified for a stimulus check. How about that? If she qualified for a stimulus check, we'd be talking $75,000. Again, when is the last time you spent $75,000 on anything that didn't take you to town or give you a place to sleep at night? This is incredible. I don't think any of us have things sitting around in our house, a piece of perfume worth a year's wages. Any way you look at it, it's an extravagant gift. It's an extravagant act. What is extravagant about the way you follow Jesus? Would anyone who saw your giving, your donation report, your activity say, wow, that is extravagant? See, I think this woman gave out of her security. I think she gave out of something that she could have sold to survive a pandemic that lasted a year. This was her umbrella. It was her protection. And when she gives that up to to Jesus, she is indicating that he will now be her protection. You know, there was a time when uh, the, the church was, was going, we were a few years in, and uh, the pastor and I gave our 401k to the church. And we weren't alone in that. There were other people here who did the same thing. And it was a, it was a, it was a stretch to do that. It's a stretch to do that. But I think it meant for us exactly what it meant for this woman. We're all in. We're all in. And I don't say that to brag or to boast. I say that to indicate that's a demonstration of faithfulness that I am all in to what God is calling me to do. I think that's exactly what that meant. And when you do something like that, I'm telling you, your heart skips a beat at the gravity of what that is. And when this woman pours oil on Jesus, the disciples' heart skips a beat. They're like, oh, I don't know if that was a good decision. You could have done something else. What are you going to do now? Because you're exchanging your security for what you don't know is going to be with this man. And this is what else I love about her. She does not recognize the significance of what she's doing. She doesn't recognize. She doesn't know this is Jesus' last week of life. I mean, he said he's going to die, but nobody got it. Nobody really understood what was happening. Only in retrospect can they write about it with any degree of understanding. And even then they're like, we didn't know, we didn't know what he was talking about. They didn't know. So she, he says, you're preparing me for my burial. And she's like, I didn't buy you a casket. I wasn't buying you funeral clothes. I'm giving you something right now that indicates the status of my heart, the condition of my heart. And Jesus is like, yeah. And you have no idea what I'm going to do with that. Sometimes we have no idea what God is going to do with the gift, with the talent that we give over to him in that day. Let me also say this about it. This is not the act of a new convert. 
This is not someone who is like, I just surrendered to Jesus and I'm so excited, I'm emptying my bank account. No, if this is truly Mary, and I believe it is, this is a seasoned believer. This is someone who's been following Jesus. It's not like she hasn't been all in already. And then somewhere along the way, she feels compelled to give an extra something to indicate the condition of her heart. She's displaying her passion for Jesus in that moment. See, sometimes we think that what we do is only for the here and now, but it may have lasting significance. Don't dismiss the nudge that you have to do something now when you have no idea what God is going to do with it. God is great at repurposing stuff. What you give him for one thing, he repurposes for something else. And Jesus reminds the 12, this act will go down in history. Can you imagine if all our acts of worship went down in history? Second person, Judas. We've talked about the woman, let's talk about Judas. There's a very quick transition here in the scripture, right? It's almost, and if you have a Bible that is printed, um, you will probably see where modern um, translators have actually broken things up in chapters and, and paragraphs to help break things up so you can read it a little more clearly. But in reality, it wasn't done that way in the original language. And I think these two pieces are very deeply connected. Let me roll back up to the top where I can read it. It says, Jesus says, what, what she has done will also be told in memory of her, then one of the 12. Then. One of the 12, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests, and it says, from then on, Judas looked for a way, an opportunity to give him over to, um, to these priests. I think uh, transitions tell the story because I think there's motive in there. I really believe that this act that Judas was a part of is what tipped the scale for him, was what pushed him over the edge, and now he is like, I am out. It's not the only thing, but it is the straw that breaks the camel's back. I'm convinced of that because here's what I think. Judas gave up too early and too cheap. He gave up too early and too cheap. Let's talk about numbers for just a hot minute. In five verses, we have two distinct amounts of money listed, right? We have a year's worth of wages, which is 300 to 400 denarii, and Judas is going to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, which if you have a study Bible that would tell you this, is worth about 120 denarii. So can we just say, she gives a gift worth a year, he sells Jesus out for four months worth of salary. A measly four months. He sells Jesus out for one-third of what this woman gives as a gift. It's incredible. It's an incredible thought. And I really don't think it's about money for him. I don't think it is. Listen to what John says about Judas. John 12, 6. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. John, John doesn't cut any slack. He's like, you know, he was, he was a thief the whole time. Well, if you knew that, why didn't you call him out back then? You know what I mean? I, it's not like they held it against him in the, in the day. I do not think this was about Judas needing a, a souped up donkey. I don't think it was him needing a supercharger. I don't think it was about side pipes. I don't think it was about him going faster. I don't think it was any of those things. You know, I've been raised in church all my life, and I have had lots of years to be mad at Jesus, I mean, mad at Judas for betraying Jesus. 
You know, I've always thought, what an idiot. You know, why in the world would you do that? And, and I'm thinking, what were you thinking? How mad were you? How frustrated? How impulsive were you that you march out in the middle of the Last Supper, even if you managed to hide your rage, your disappointment, your passion? I mean, it's the last week of Jesus' life and ministry. It's his very last week, you know? I mean, I suppose somebody else would have given Jesus up if Judas hasn't done it because dying is what he came to do. But could you have just hung on one more week? One more week. Could you have held your anger one more week? Could you have held your frustration one more week? And then I think, how, how many times have I cashed in too early? <laughs> how many times have I walked out too soon? given up on someone too quickly, passed on something that just didn't entertain me enough or produce for me fast enough. We all do it, don't we? I'm telling you, we Americans in this day and age are a bunch of quitters because we have so many options. I don't like that restaurant, I'll take a different one. I don't like that gym, I'll take a different one. I'm mad at that banker, I'll go to a different bank. You know what I mean? We are just, in many ways, we're just a bunch of Judases. We are so impatient and critical even if we don't have all the information about what's happening and a lot of things are happening above our pay grade, a lot of things are happening above Judas's pay grade, but we somehow think we know it all. And you know, in March Madness, we're gonna coach from the sofa, you know? We're gonna gripe online, we're gonna gossip with our friends. Because like Judas, when our passions rise, we get frustrated with how things are going. The way the money is being spent or wasted or distributed or whatever. We have complaints about the organization. We're critical of a leader who doesn't appear to be watching the ship. Because don't miss this. Judas isn't angry with the woman. Judas is angry with Jesus. That's who he's upset with, right? Maybe for sticking up for her, for defending her extravagance, maybe for shaming him in front of the disciples because it's Judas who makes the statement and he doesn't make it to Jesus. Jesus overhears him. The disciples have been talking among themselves and they say something, and, Judas has, and Jesus has to say, leave her alone. And I think of all the ways you could say that, why are you bothering her? Or why are you bothering, you know what I mean? He could have said it with some real, who knows? But, but Judas didn't take that well. He did not take that criticism well. And, and maybe he's just angry that Jesus isn't managing the ministry better, you know? Get it together, Jesus. Go to a Dave Ramsey course for Pete's sake and figure out how to make this money last a little bit better than you're doing. What does it take for you to walk away from something where you have invested time, energy, and emotion, a career, a relationship, your education, a church? What pushes you over the edge? See, I think for some of us, things just aren't happening fast enough. You know, we, we've done something for a little bit and it just didn't produce fast enough. Or people aren't noticing me. I'm not advancing the way I wanted to advance. I don't really feel appreciated here. Or I'm just not happy. I want you to know Jesus did not die to make you happy. He died to forgive us. Happy is just sprinkles on top. That's great, but that's not why he died. Maybe it's just our criticism and our cynicism that pushes us over the edge. 
Now listen, I think it's wise to notice fraud, abuse, and things that, that reflect a lack of integrity into a, an organization or a place that you're participating. I totally get that. But, um, you know, Jesus wasn't misusing funds here. But when we're just sitting around thinking, well, there could have been a better way. <laughs> there could have been something else that we have done. Sometimes we find ourselves cashing out too quickly. Sometimes our righteous indignation is really just poor judgment. Sometimes it is short-sighted judgment. Judas has no idea this is the last week of Jesus' life. You know, when's the last time I got thinking one thing and then was shamed when the situation turned into something else? Sometimes our righteous indignation fails to appreciate someone else's devotion. Jesus was honored by her sacrifice. He was honored by that because what she was doing was she was exchanging worldly protection for God's protection. And it's all on you now, Jesus, because I've given this up to you because this isn't really meaningful to me anyway in light of eternal glory, in light of who you are. Everything I have is worth that. This is selling everything for the, the, the pearl of great price. It's selling everything to go buy that field. And there's no good measuring tape for someone else's devotion. But this is what Judas does. Judas lets his judgment of someone else change the course of his life. Not her life, his life. He's goaded to giving up on Jesus. And I'm, I'm thinking, Judas, what were you thinking? Well, here's what he was not thinking. He was not thinking that Jesus was going to die. And we know that from a later account. He was not thinking that. I don't know exactly what was going through his head, but you know, it is possible. Judas has been around and watched Jesus walk out of a lot of dicey situations where people wanted to kill him and he just walks through the middle of them. Maybe he thought that's what was going to happen. Does he really think Jesus, Jesus isn't going to know that he's the one that did that? Did he think he was going to slink back in and be one of the disciples? They'd never know. I mean, Jesus, who knows what's in a man, wouldn't know this stuff. Here's why we know he didn't know what was going to happen. Matthew 27, 1 through 10. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. And let me, let me back up. In between the passage I read earlier, Judas has given Jesus up. He's been arrested. He has been on trial. And now they've made their plans on how to have him executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. And when Judas who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned. He was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it's against the law to put this back in the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. And that's why it is called a field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. See, Judas was seized with remorse. I don't think he expected, when he saw that Jesus was actually condemned, he seized with remorse. That word means to regret or repent. He has changed his mind. Would that he had approached Jesus and said, forgive me. 
Would that he had told God, I am sorry and repented of that, but instead he lets his passions dictate his behavior and he deeply regretted it. Folks, our passions can set things in motion that cannot be undone. We let our blood pressure dictate too many things. We quit too many things in the heat of the moment. And I believe God wants somebody to hear this this morning, and maybe you're online and maybe you're in the room. Hang on, it's not over. It's too early. Persevere, don't give up, don't give in. There's more coming. This will all make sense later. I believe that we need to resist the righteous indignation that we don't deserve this. I think we need to resist the notion that we shouldn't have to waste our time, that things should be moving a little faster, that, you know, that we banked on the wrong thing or the wrong person or the wrong direction. Resist the urge to just cut your losses and run. See, Mary was known for giving too much. Judas was known for giving up too early. What passion are we known for? What passion is God inviting us to be known for? If you're new to the vineyard, what we have up here are people who are prepared to pray for you. And what we like to do here at the end of the service is give you an opportunity to come up. And you know what? If you want to say what's on your heart, they will listen and hear that. If you don't have any words at all, and you would just like someone to pray over you, you will be amazed what the Holy Spirit will say through them to you without any prompting from you at all. If you're online, you can go to the prayer chat button at the bottom of our website, vineyardrichmond.com. There's a little green button and there's someone live ready to pray with you there as well. I don't know what God's saying to you this morning. I don't know if there's a place in your, in your heart where you are really tempted to walk out. You are really tempted to give up on something and God is telling you, hang on, it's too early. Maybe God is prompting you to be a little more extravagant with your passions for Him and quit doing things halfway. Quit just showing up. It's time for you to go all in. It's time for you to volunteer. It's time for you to get on a team. It's time for you to do something and and invite your acquaintances and your friends to come with you and learn about Jesus with you. Easter is coming. It's a great time to bring them. Let's come to our feet. And during this last song, You can come up anytime for prayer. Would you pray with me first? God, I just thank you today for these examples that you give us to look at. Father, speak to our hearts this morning. I pray that you would would move us. Those of us who have been discouraged and, and ready to give up, God, I pray that you would give us the tenacity to stay at it, to stay at it. God, where we have been complacent, where we have just been, just been coasting. It's been a year for coasting. <laughs> it's been easy to not do a whole lot and say, well, we can't yet. But God, you're still asking us in, in our environment, in our circle, to live wholeheartedly for you, to live extravagantly for you. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name.